Did you hear the message there, though? Let us love in a world I know is burning to the ground. Boy, the world feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? Burning to the ground. It's tough to love in a world like that. Now, their world seemed to be burning to the ground as well. Acts chapter 7, Stephen has been tried, has been uh, these trumped up charges of blasphemy against God and speaking against the temple, and he was killed by stones being thrown at him. And then Saul, this zealous Pharisee, is dragging people off to prison who follow in the way of Jesus. A great persecution broke out, Luke writes. A great persecution broke out. And yet, only seven small verses later in chapter 8 of the book of Acts, Luke adds, so there was great joy in the city. So how in the world can you have great persecution on the one hand and great joy in the same storyline? How can you love in a world that's burning to the ground? You might be wondering that too. Right now, there's plenty of persecution. There's plenty of pain in the world. You have seen with me the heartbreaking images of a decimated Ukraine. 3.8 million refugees leaving that country and fleeing into neighboring countries. 3.8 million. That is about the same as every man, woman, and child in downstate Illinois. Not to mention things like Suicide is on the rise in our nation, cancel culture, inflation. You can go to gas stations in our own town and watch people desperate asking others for help to fill up their gas tanks. And yet, is there also cause for a smile? Well, today we're continuing in our series, uh, most likely to. We're using that kind of face, that uh, yearbook designation, rather, to describe some of the most intriguing members of the early church in the book of Acts. And, uh, you know, speaking of yearbooks, uh, we've got some yearbooks photo of some Southsiders right here. I bet, who, do you, who is that? Does anybody know who that is? <laughs> that is Ed and Kelly Wood right here with us today, which is... Or are we clapping because we're still happy they're still here, or? <laughs> pretty awesome, pretty awesome yearbook photos there, which is amazing, because I know Kelly's told me she only graduated five years ago, so I mean, that's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, you remember your yearbooks, you know, I, I don't know what you had in yours, uh, here's mine. Uh, I remember looking at the most likely two page in my high school yearbook, and there's all these different kinds of designations and awards for seniors. One of them was the nicest smile. Did you have that one in your high school class, nicest smile? Anybody win nicest smile here? Well, we need to smile more, apparently, because... I was looking at mine, and that award my senior year went to a, a girl named Andy Brush. And I um, hadn't talked to Andy for over about 30 years now. So I looked her up on Facebook, and this was the picture that I saw uh, when I caught up with Andy. You know what that bell means. She's had cancer. But she's also smiling. So I reached out to Andy, and I just asked her about life, about her 
struggle and her smile. And we talked about chemo and radiation. We talked about her long journey through cancer. We talked about the pain of it and the surprise of it. And even the cliched things that well-meaning people say when you have cancer, things like, well, you don't look sick. (laughs) Mostly she said that through all the pain, she smiled in this picture because chemo was over. She smiled because of the kindnesses of so many people. And I think mostly she said she smiled because now she has a real purpose in her life to help others who've walked through cancer. And I think, I think Philip would smile in Acts chapter 8. Philip, whose short, short story, Acts 8, starting in verse 4, it bridges the gap between great struggle and great joy. There's a a, a bridge between persecution and joy, struggles and smiles, and I think he draws up similar blueprints for us as we think about life in a broken world, a life in a world that sometimes feels like it's burning to the ground. But the the path of his joy may sound uh, a little... dissimilar to what you're used to when you're thinking about joy. So why don't you turn with me in Acts chapter 8, if you've got a Bible this morning, uh, starting in verse 4, or you can follow along on a smartphone app, or you can even Google Acts chapter 8, verse 4. But here's, here's just this tiny little story about Philip. He says, those who had been scattered, that is, during the persecution, they had been scattered, they preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. Every preacher's dream right there, you know. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. There it is. Now, I'd probably vote Philip as the most likely to move out of the country, but even far from home, his story teaches us something I think that hits pretty close to home for us, and that's this, the joy comes when misfits meet the Messiah. Let's talk about some of the misfits in the story for just a moment. These misfit Samaritans. Now, persecution in Jerusalem was heating up. These people were following Jesus. Uh, they, they got crossways with the Jewish leadership who didn't like what they were doing. Uh, men and women were being jailed, it says in Acts uh, chapter 8, verse uh, 1 through 3 there. Men and women, a rarity in those days, uh, that women would be going to prison. So that uh, it's showing, again, Saul's uh, deep desire to stop this movement of Jesus' followers. One of the leaders of the Greek-speaking part of the Jerusalem church had already been killed. Stephen, another uh, of those leaders in the Greek-speaking part of the church, is now on the move. Philip is one of those seven that's mentioned in Acts chapter 6 who are ministering to the the Greek-speaking widows of the church. This is not Philip the apostle. The apostles stayed put in Jerusalem, Luke tells us in uh, Acts chapter 8 verse 1. Probably, as uh, F.F. Bruce says, Or maybe because they thought it their duty to stay at their post in Jerusalem. Maybe because the persecution initially was going against the Greek-speaking Jews in Jerusalem and not so much against the more Hebraic apostles. But in any case, this Philip, who's later called Philip the Evangelist in Acts 21, takes the gospel on the road and moves right out of the country. But where he goes would have been considered by most, if not all, Jewish people as a land of misfits. 
Did you see where he went? He went to a city in Samaria. All right, well, now the people of Samaria were descended from the northern tribes of Israel. You see kind of the blue section of the map here. It's north of Jerusalem. That would have been the northern kingdom of old Israel. 700 years before Philip, the Assyrians had come in and wiped out that part of the kingdom, and they had shipped off most of those people off east to Assyria. However, many people, often poor people or weak people who couldn't make the journey back to Assyria, they were left in the land. They remained. They continued to farm. They continued to grow families. They intermarried with Canaanite peoples of the land or other peoples that the Assyrians brought in there. They had kids. They survived. They changed with the times. Now, they still considered themselves to be the people of God, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They still had a portion of the Bible, the first five books of Moses, our first five books in our Bible. They circumcised their sons. They even built a temple on Mount Gerizim to rival the one in Jerusalem. Uh, you might even remember a time Jesus had a conversation with a woman from Samaria. She said, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. But you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And you can even hear the hurt in her words. You see, about 150 years before Philip, a Jewish king destroyed the Samaritan temple and made them subservient to the Jews. But then, of course, the Romans came in and took control of everybody. So the Samaritans continued to worship God in their own way, in their own place. And just like their Jewish cousins, they were, they were looking forward to a Jewish Messiah, or to a Messiah, rather, who would come and restore the proper worship on Mount Gerizim. They, they looked to the same scripture in Deuteronomy 18 about a prophet like Moses who would come and restore things. Uh, they called this, this person the Tahib, or the Restorer. And just like their Jewish cousins, a historian named Josephus, a Jewish historian, said that there were many pretend messiahs for the Samaritans, one even during the time of Pilate, who took the people up Mount Gerizim and promised to show them the secret, uh, you know, temple vessels that had been hidden in the mountain. It didn't work out so well for them. But again, the Samaritan woman who talked with Jesus probably referenced this person when she said to Jesus, when he comes... He will explain everything to us. When the, when the Tahib comes, he will, he will restore everything. And that's when Jesus in John 4 said, well, well, that's me. So there's a lot of similarities between these Jewish people and these Samaritans to their north, their hopes, their history. However, like most sibling rivalries, the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along at all. John has a huge understatement in John chapter 4 when he said, for Jews, do not associate with Samaritans. Well, more to the point, they hated each other. They would not be caught dead together. Jews saw Samaritans as half-breeds and heretics, and, and they're not following the true faith, and they avoided traveling through the territory. They would circle around if they had to travel around it. Samaritans were the lost sheep of the Israelite fold, once Luke even uses the term uh, allogenes to describe them in Luke 17. Allogenes, uh, somewhat of a different race, a different kind, a stranger. So the Samaritans weren't Jews, but they also weren't sort of pagan Gentiles either. They were a third kind of people, according to the Jewish peoples. They were 
They were misfits. But Philip, in a bold act, moved out of his country and right to these misfits. He told them that Tahib you're waiting for, his name is Jesus. And chapter 8, verse 6, they all paid close attention to what he said. They were of one mind. The, the demons fleeing, the paralyzed people walking, all of that in the preaching of Philip comes together and the misfits find their Messiah. And so therefore, verse 8, there was great joy in that city. The misfits joined a Jewish Messiah and they couldn't stop smiling. Now, wouldn't it be nice to crack a smile these days that you just can't stop? Wouldn't it be nice to smile and to feel that kind of joy? Even with great persecution and great pain as a part of our stories, couldn't, couldn't you use some of that? The Samaritans were misfits. And I wonder for you, do you know any misfits in your life? People who don't fit into the sort of normal categories, whatever those are. Maybe you've got some friends, for instance, that you look at and you say, man, these, they're good people. They're not followers of Jesus, but they, they live a good life. They're good people. They just aren't saved people. What do you do with, they're, they're sort of religious misfits. <laughs> or maybe there's people in your life you know that, I mean, frankly, if we're going to be honest, you try to shy away from them when you see them coming. They're socially awkward. They got bad breath. They talk too much, talk too loud, talk too close. I don't know, misfits. Maybe there's people in your life that are just, they have some disabilities. Maybe it's physical disability, a mental disability. They make you feel uncomfortable. Maybe, maybe there are people in your life who wear a red Trump hat and love to talk about it. Or they're vegan and they love to talk about it. Or they do CrossFit and they love to talk about it. Maybe you've got someone in your life who is addicted to this TV preacher who's got the book of Revelation figured out. And they would love to sit you down and tell you about how Russia is the Antichrist and the Pope is the beast and Bitcoin is 666. And they've got the return of Jesus pinpointed to next Tuesday at 4.57 p.m. Do you know who's a misfit? There's a young man from Hong Kong. His name is Ah Ping. Even his name sounds strange on my tongue. But Jackie Pulliger writes about him in her autobiography called Chasing the Dragon. You see, as a 12-year-old boy, Ah Ping joined the triads, gangs that controlled the crime in Hong Kong. 12 years old, horrific crimes, gruesome people. In fact, Ah Ping was supported financially by a 14-year-old girl who was a prostitute. But when Jackie met him as a missionary in Hong Kong, she reached out to him in kindness, in mercy. And he told her, in no uncertain terms, get out of here. We're no good. Go find some people who will appreciate what you're doing. We will only hurt you and exploit you and kick you around. Why do you stay? Why do you care? But Jackie told him, I stay because that's what Jesus did for me. I didn't want him either, but he didn't wait until I got good and wanted him. He died for me while I was his hateful enemy. He loved and forgave me. He loves you too. No way. 
said Ah Ping. No way. Nobody could love us like that. We rape and fight and steal and stab. Nobody could love us. But Jackie had moved out of the country for this very reason and moved right into his neighborhood. And she explained how Jesus didn't love the things he was doing, but he, Jesus loves him and is willing to forgive him. And Ah Ping was shattered. He sat down on a street corner in tears and he accepted Jesus as his Savior. Not long after that, others had heard of his conversion and Ah Ping was then attacked. A gang of young people beat him mercilessly with bats. And his friends gathered together and they were going to go get revenge on this other gang. And he said, no, I'm a Christian now and I don't want you to fight back. He forgave and he smiled through the pain. How do you do that? How do you have great pain and great joy at the same time? How do you have love in a world that seems to be burning to the ground? It was because he met Jesus, carried away his sins. Because joy comes when misfits meet the Messiah. You know who's a misfit? David knew plenty. Remember David's story? He was on the run from King Saul. King Saul tried to kill him, tried to throw a spear through him, and he was on the run in the desert. Uh, David was running from him. He was persecuted. But while David was hi hiding in the desert, 1 Samuel 22 says, all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Can you imagine a whole congregation of misfits People who were mad and depressed and anxious and broke and at wit's end. David had left the royal palace and come out to their neck of the woods and they gathered around him. And some of those, through hard times, became some of David's best friends, some of his mighty men. In fact, one time the story is told that David is at, at a dry, dusty cave on the hide from Saul and is longing out loud for some sweet, cool water from his hometown of Bethlehem. But there's a problem because Bethlehem is controlled by their ancient enemies, the Philistines. And yet three of those guys, three of those misfits, heard him talking about this. They snuck out of the cave late at night. They walked 12 miles, 12 miles to the city of Bethlehem. They somehow broke through the Philistine guard. They scooped out some of the water from the, the well in Bethlehem. And they walked 12 miles back to David and his cave, sloshing the water all the way. And David was so amazed by that gesture, he couldn't even drink it. He gave it as an offering to God. Can you imagine the chuckle they had about that story? Those misfits sitting in a cave laughing about that story. How? How are they laughing about this? How can they have great joy even in the midst of great trouble? It's because they met their Messiah, their king, David. And a son of David would later become the Messiah and king of everyone, of you and of me. Because joy comes when misfits meet the Messiah. Do you know any misfits? You know, people who would feel right at home at that fantastical place described in the movie, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the Island of Misfit Toys. You know anybody like that? Now, let's be honest, most of us, I think, try to insulate ourselves 
from misfits. You don't answer the phone if you don't recognize the number. You don't answer the doorbell if you don't know who's knocking. Maybe for some of us, the front door has become kind of a wall that we only, only the people who fit can come through those doors. Maybe you schedule time at the office so you don't have appointments with people who make you feel uncomfortable. Maybe you shop in stores around town that are only kind of people like you and you stay away from stores where people aren't like you. Maybe the only place you discover misfits in your life these days is at church. We open our doors wide and we get all kinds of folks, people with different political opinions, people with mental health issues, people with deeply painful relationship issues or ingrained sin habits or social awkwardness or even, even bad breath. We serve coffee, for goodness sake. I mean, you know. Sometimes people join us who are homeless or under the influence. Sometimes a person is in crisis or in desperate need. Sometimes they can't hold it together and they need a friend. Sometimes people come and we've had misfits from, from prison. We've had misfits from broken homes. We've had misfits from everywhere. Sometimes, listen, sometimes, maybe even this morning, there are people here who like heavy metal music. There are some people here who still have good NCAA brackets. And plus, I don't, I don't want to scare you, but we've, <laughs> we've had some Cub fans walking the hallways around here. <laughs> I know. It's uncomfortable. I know you want to run away and hide. I get it. But Philip's story, it just says something we need to hear, that joy comes when misfits meet the Messiah. I wonder... Could you and I find the kind of joy introduced here if we introduced some people to our Savior who maybe don't quite fit anywhere else? Do you know who's a misfit? I'm a misfit. <laughs> I grew up in Robinson, Illinois, population 7,164. I looked it up. Struggling Crawford County. I was not, I know you all think I was the cool high school rebel type. I know you think that, but I was better at Bible Bowl than I was at basketball, okay? Now, I did drink heavily in high school and college. Dr. Pepper, um, lots of regrets about that. Sweets are my addiction of choice. I went off to college, I fell in love. I got married, I was 19 years old, 19 years old. I didn't play the field, I didn't sleep around, heck, I didn't even kiss any other girls besides my wife. <laughs> I went to college and graduate school for eight years to study the Bible and how to lead a church and preaching, and when God opens a door for me to travel around the world in missions, I don't sing the song, Lord, don't send me to Africa. Quite the opposite. Do you know what that makes me? Weirdo. Misfit. I get it. But I can't even begin to tell you the joy that I've experienced in my life because I've met Jesus. Joy comes when misfits meet the Messiah. Misfits like, like you, have you met him? 
Have you developed a relationship with him? Have you, have you come to him with your pain and your struggles and offered him your allegiance and trust? Is it time to begin a relationship with him? Have you been immersed in baptism in him? If not, let's talk today. Let me introduce you because joy comes when misfits meet the Messiah. Misfits like people all around us. Have we, uh, like these early disciples, have we preached the word wherever we went? Like Philip. Are we willing to move away from our comforts into the wildness of the world around us to people who don't quite look like us, don't quite agree with us, don't quite fit with us? Those folks may be across the aisle from you right now at church. They may be across the road from you in your neighborhood, maybe across the classroom from you. Maybe they are hurting or desperate or scared or just plain strange. Would you be a witness of the Messiah to them? Because if so... I think this most likely two man named Philip might just show us something priceless, something we need to hear these days, that joy, real, deep, abiding, long-lasting joy comes when misfits meet Jesus. But why don't you find that out for yourself this week? Well, Shay Little is a misfit, but she's our misfit. And just like Philip, in a lot of ways, she has seen a God who has taken her in many, many places and has discovered many, many things. So I want you to take a moment and see where God has led her recently. Take a look.